This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. New South Wales heads to the ballot box on Saturday and it's a campaign that's been pretty hard to split between the major parties. So in this week's Squeeze Shortcut, we take a look at the vibe after 12 years of a coalition government in our most populous state. Also, we have a look at the two relative newbies who are battling it out to be Premier and the big pictures and promises of election 2023. Squeeze Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Kate Watson. And I'm Claire Kimball. Claire, I feel a bit bad because we promised a shortcut on Silicon (laughs) Valley Bank this week. Yes. But we changed our mind. We did because it's a state election. It's been a little bit sort of under the radar, so Mm. we both kind of glossed over it. But anyway, here we are. Here we are. We're doing New South Wales election and we'll do banking another week, I promise. (laughs) We don't always pick apart state elections and that's because of course we're a national podcast and we have a national audience but it seemed like we should take a look at New South Wales in the same way that we did Victoria and Queensland when those happened because uh, if you don't live in New South Wales you might not even know who the Premier is and Claire that's because the Liberals have had a pretty extraordinary churn of leaders over the past 12 years. Yeah, and to put it in perspective, most Aussies, because of COVID, have heard of Victoria's Premier, Dan Mm. Andrews. He took that job in 2014. Uh, At the beginning of 2014, the New South Wales Premier was Barry O'Farrell. That's right. Then Mike Baird took over later that year. Uh, Then he resigned in 2017. Then it was Gladys Berejiklian who took over. She quit in 2021, meaning the current Premier is Dominic Perrottet. He's only been in that role just shy of 18 months. So yeah, it really has been a bit of a revolving door over the last few years. If you're a Sydney sider, you might know a bit about the dramas that led to so many resignations. But for everyone else, give us a snapshot on what has been going on. (laughs) So starting with the most recent resignation first, in New South Wales, all things being equal, the woman who should have been taking the Liberals to the election was Gladys Berejiklian, then ICAC, which is the really powerful anti-corruption body in New South Wales, launched a probe into her conduct. There were questions about the awarding of some grants worth millions of dollars to community groups in regional New South Wales. It was quite a thing what happened with Gladys Berejiklian. And of course, it was national news at the time. Mm. The nub of it was whether there was a conflict of interest because she was in a relationship with the local Liberal MP, Daryl Maguire, a secret relationship. Yeah, that's right. And I still remember when it came out that Maguire and Berejiklian were in a relationship. It was like, what <gasps> yeah. is that about? Uh, ICAC still hasn't released the findings of its investigation, uh, even though those hearings were 18 months ago. But at the time, Berejiklian said, uh, even though it was against her instincts, she had to resign because it was impossible to continue as Premier while that inquiry was taking place. Yeah, it was a real big bombshell at the time because it was right in the middle of COVID. Mm. She was pretty popular in New South Wales for her handling of everything around Mm. COVID. What makes what happened to Gladys more compelling? We call her Gladys, Mm. sort of what she goes by. Her former boss was another sculpt claimed by ICAC just a few years before her. Yeah, so Barry O'Farrell led the Liberals to power in 2011. That was after 16 years of Labor government. Uh, And only three years into the job, he got asked by ICAC about receiving a $3,000 bottle of Grange from a lobbyist. Uh, He denied that on oath uh, about receiving that 
bottle of wine, but then he was forced to resign uh, after his own thank you note to the lobbyist was tendered as evidence. That Grange, I forgot about that. That (laughs) was a thing at the time. That revolving door of leaders really leads us to why this is such an interesting battle in New South Wales. It's like no one really has the advantage of incumbency, I guess, which is something that does tend to happen, but not this time around. Yeah, it's a very powerful thing, incumbency, when you've been the leader for a while showing a state that you've are the leader and you're Mm. doing good stuff. But to look at the popularity of state leaders during COVID as well, we know that Daniel Andrews recently had a thumping victory in Victoria. Mark McGowan similarly in Western Australia back in 2021. So yeah, it's a hard factor with all the ifs and buts and maybes in politics. Uh, But you can say that with Gladys Berejiklian at the helm, uh, we probably wouldn't be looking at this election as a real contest that it's now become. And that is all hearsay because it's irrelevant. Dominic Parate is the leader of the coalition. Chris Min's up against him for New South Wales Labor. They've been in a bit of a shambles as well, Claire. Yeah, so between 2018 and 2021, uh, would you believe Labor's had five opposition leaders in New South Wales? Chris Minns is the fifth uh, in that list. And as you say, he's the man taking Labor to this election. Yeah, he's come from nowhere, really, to now being a real shot at being the next Premier. Let's have a look now at the contest to lead New South Wales. All right, Claire, the way we uh, generally like to set the scene for elections is by the bookies, the pundits. The polls all have Labor as the favourite to win, but few think it's going to be a landslide. Lots of talk of a minority government and them just scraping over the line, which is also what we talked about during the federal election and that didn't come to pass. Yeah, exactly. So all a bit speculative, of course, but it's important to remember what the starting line is. You need 47 seats to hold government in New South Wales in your own right. Uh, The Liberals have actually gone backwards since the last election. They have just 46 seats. So that means that they've been leading the government from a minority Mm. position. So you might hear that around the next few days. Um, So they have to hold every seat that they currently have to have a shot. Uh, Labor needs to win nine more seats to govern alone. The pollster Jim Reid, who's quite an authority on New South Wales, uh, says that Labor remains the favourite because it's likely to get over the line with preferences from the minor parties and in independence. Um, But he also reckons that things could change because voters haven't really made up their minds on Perrottet or Mins because they're both pretty new. Yeah, history teaches us there's a good reason to be firmly sceptical about any prediction of polls. Claire, I think we've drummed that home well and truly across years and years of doing the squiz. But tell us a bit more about the two contenders, because I reckon there could be a lot of people, even within New South Wales, who don't know much about them. Yeah. So let's start with Perrottet. He's the current Liberal Premier. Uh, I'll take a stab at one of the things most people know about him, and that is that he's got seven children. Uh, He actually took parental leave when he was only just a few months into the job when he's Helen gave birth to their sixth daughter, Celeste. Uh, And yep, if you're doing the maths, that means that they only have one boy. One boy out of seven kids. There you go. (laughs) It's really amazing to me. um, There's so much curiosity about him and his family. I guess it's because it's 2023 and not many people have seven kids. Perrottet himself is only 40. He's one of 12 kids. He's got a law degree from Sydney University. He was raised in the Hills District in Sydney's northwest by devout Catholic parents. Parents. 
Yeah, and they were both members of the ultra-conservative Opus Dei branch of the Catholic faith, uh, and Perrottet had to answer a lot of questions about how much of that faith drives his own decision-making in politics. Uh, and I suppose he's answered the critics with his actions. Uh, he allowed a conscience vote on the voluntary assisted dying laws. Uh, he also promised to ban gay conversion therapy. He's got a lot of praise from the trans community for funding the city's first queer history museum called Utopia. That's in the old Darlinghurst police station. Yeah, Paul Keating's obviously been in the news lately with his brutal attack on federal labour for the AUKUS subs deal. Turns out though, Claire, and the reason I've just randomly, tangently gone and started talking (laughs) about Paul Keating is because he's also a big fan of Dominique Perrottet. You find your friends in weird places, Indeed. And look, politics is a friends gathering exercise. But, uh, and who really knows if an endorsement from Paul Keating is a blessing or a curse. But (laughs) Perrottet was New South Wales treasurer before he became premier uh, and he occasionally sought Keating's counsel. Uh, Keating praised him for reigning in uh, the scale of development down at Barangaroo, which is near Darling Harbour on Sydney Harbour. Uh, He actually said, thank God for the premier. States get lucky. They get people with a civic conscience and we have one with the premier. So that's a little bit about Dominique Perrottet. There's a whole lot more, um, but you know, this is a shortcut. This is your cheat sheet. (laughs) So there's that. The man, Chris Minns, who's taking on Dominique Perrottet. He, as I said earlier, he's really come from the shadows to be pretty close to winning this thing. Yeah, and he only came into Parliament in 2015, so he's pretty fresh off that boat too. Uh, But he's been in the Labor Party his whole adult life. Like Perrottet, he's a practising Catholic. He got a Master's in Public Policy from Princeton University, so that's pretty fancy. Uh, He's married to Anna. They have three young sons. A lot of people talking about the similarities between the two personally. Um, He's just 43. He was only elected, as you say, in 2015. He actually made his first tilt for the Labor leadership in 2018. Yep, he hasn't let the grass grow under his feet. Uh, And his mates inside Labor say that they always thought that he was destined for greater things. Uh, One of his closest confidants in the past couple of years uh, has actually been the newish South Australian Premier Peter Malinowskis. They were both opposition leaders together and he and Minns decided midway through the pandemic that they couldn't constantly be critical of their respective governments. They just needed to ride it out. Um, Minns has been really studying that Malinowskis playbook. It's been pretty successful for him. Mm. Uh, And as a result, he stayed really mainstream, focused on everyday concerns, uh, down to the tin tacks of how he performed in the election debates. There you go. South Australians listening will know what we're talking about when we talk about Peter Malinowskis. We need to note that Minns is actually walking a tightrope in his own seat of Cogra. Lots of talk about whether he'll actually hold his own seat. It's in Sydney South. He's on a margin of just 0.1%. That's a really small margin, but Minns doesn't reckon that it's one of those situations where Labor could win government, but he could lose his seat. Uh, he reckons there will be a Labor win across the board. If on the flip side, if he loses, Labor won't have got the swing that it needs to win government. Of course, he has to be cool, calm and collected about that. (laughs) So they're the two blokes running for office on Saturday. Claire, let's take a look now at how this campaign is playing out. (music) 
There have been a handful of big promises across this campaign, some that have really cut through. The first to mention is what's really been the Liberals' signature election policy, only announced just recently. They're calling it the Kids' Future Fund. Yeah, and talking about Perrottain, the Keating bromance, the New South Wales Premier says that he talked to the former Prime Minister about this one. Uh, So the Liberals are promising every child under 10 years old uh, in New South Wales, they're going to get an account containing $400. Every year, the government will add another $400. And when they turn 18, they can use that fund for education or for purchasing a property. Now, parents can also add up to $1,000 a year into that fund. uh, And that means that some kids could come out with a balance by the time that they're 18 of almost $50,000. So a pretty good thing to start your adult years with. Heating, of course, the architect of our superannuation system. And it's sort of got some similarities there. Absolutely. Um, That policy had plenty of fans, also plenty of critics. The opposition says it will widen the gap between the haves and the have-nots. Another big policy for the Liberals is on anti-gambling reform. This one they've had out for some time now. Yeah, and just to set the scene on this one, gamblers in New South Wales lose $7 billion every year on the pokies. Uh, It's about five times more than people lose on sports betting. Uh, So it's a real scourge, devastating a lot of families. There's been something like 80,000 gaming machines around the state. Now, those make huge profits for pubs and clubs, uh, and they've been really dead against any change that would stop people putting those coins into those pokies. Yeah, it was a big deal when Perrottet announced all pokey machines in the state will become cashless if he's re-elected. It's one of those ones that if you live in New South Wales, you've heard a lot about. Yeah, and the policy, just to the details, means that people have to load up their gaming cards. They basically have to nominate how much they're prepared to lose. Uh, And once they set their amount, they can't change it. For a week. Uh, the card has to be programmed as well to ensure that players take breaks. Uh, you can't load it up from a credit card. Uh, loved ones can also apply for someone to be barred from pokies if they're displaying these problematic behaviours. Yeah, Labor hasn't backed this policy. Min said he'll run a smaller scale trial of these cashless cards before deciding. So they've kind of gone half in, half out. Yeah, and that's interesting uh, given it was the New South Wales Crime Commission that actually recommended that the state go cash. So there is some evidence for the policy. Uh, If he does win but needs the support of the crossbench to form government, um, just keep in mind that this policy is very popular with the Greens and the Independents. So it could be one to watch and see if Labor does negotiate its position on it. Just to add to that, Labor has said it won't be doing any deals with the Greens or Independents. And speaking of Labor, let's talk about their big election pitches, Claire. It really put government ownership of key infrastructure at the heart of their campaign. It's been really critical of the coalition's sell-off of state assets. Yeah, so even though Perrottet has denied it, uh, Min says that the government is planning to privatise Sydney water, uh, so he wants to change the New South Wales constitution to help keep it in public hands. Uh, Min's also reckons that the liberal sell-off of toll roads, energy assets, it just keeps costing people more and more when it comes to paying their bills each year. Yeah, we've seen the ads everywhere on the telly, billboards around town. Labor is really targeting the coalition over its treatment of teachers and nurses as well 
well. They're promising better paying conditions. They sure are. Uh, and really at the core of the Labor's campaign is the sort of it's time vibe. Um, they're banking on the public being worn down by that Liberal infighting that we talked about and also the scandals like Perrottet and pictures of him in a Nazi uniform when he oh, was a teenager. That, of yeah, yeah, that's been a quite a thing. Um, Min's called it time for a fresh start while the Liberals are sticking with their key message about moving forward in the right direction. It's the way to go, he says. Experience and economic management is their game, is what the Coalition's been saying. Of course, we'll bring you all the results in your Monday morning squiz. That's your shortcut to the New South Wales election. On to our recommendations. Each week we give you a recommendation for some further reading, listening or watching. If you're a bit of an election nerd and like to look at the seats to watch, we do, Claire. ABC election analyst Anthony Green sums it all up in a few minutes for you. Great explainer on YouTube from him. Oh, look, Anthony Green, how can you go wrong on an election? (laughs) Um, Deborah Snow is a really terrific features writer for the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. She's done excellent profiles on Mins and Perrottet. Really good read, even if you're not in the state, just to get some background on a couple of interesting blokes. It's good to see who's leading things in this country. Indeed. Thanks for listening to this episode of Squeeze Shortcuts. As I said, we've promised you a shortcut on the Silicon Valley bank collapse and banking in general. We'll get to it eventually. (laughs) (laughs) It's not going away, put it that way. But if you have a recommendation or a request for a shortcut, send us an email to hello at thesqueeze.com.au. Until next time. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.